This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. A whole host of experts for you on today's episode. We were addressing divorce in the UAE, what you need to know before, during and after, from costs to custody with senior counsel live in the studio. Addressing masculinity and an upcoming retreat to help men become more consciously masculine. What does that mean? Experts in the studio to tell you more. We were in conversation with sports scientist Michael Oman saying movement is medicine and Arab Baba, that's me, the dad, the educator was on hand to give his tips for getting your kids to do their homework. By popular demand, we're having a special look at the law when it comes to divorce here in the UAE. It's safe to say that no one gets married with the expectation that it'll end in divorce, but it does happen very regularly. UAE is no exception. In a recent study, it showed that social media, financial pressure, lack of communication, being blamed by counsellors for divorce rates, uh, going up, up, up. And a change in young newlyweds' expectations of married life is also contributing to divorce rate that's said to be comparable to Europe, but growing faster. So what are your rights when it comes to going through a divorce here? Before, during, after, our next guest is here to advise you. Dipali Malinado is a senior counsellor at Altamimi and company on hand to answer all of those questions. Tapali, I hope you've had a coffee. We've got lots of questions for you. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Helen. I've had lots of coffee. Good. This is music to my ears because we, as I said, lots of anonymous messages, lots of people sharing their stories, seeking some clarity. So let's start at the beginning. I mentioned there, you know, internationally divorce rates rising and we can speculate why that might be. COVID, more financial independence, there's there's all manner of things. But what what about your busyness levels? Are you seeing a rise of cases coming across your desk? Yeah, Helen, I came to the UAE over 10 years ago and I've definitely seen an increase in the last three or four years. Um, and certainly during the pandemic, I would probably put the increase at around 60%. Um, so yeah, quite considerable. It's interesting because in the UK, there's been a big rise this year, but a lot of that has been blamed on very slow proceedings as a result of COVID. Um, and I'm curious then when what we're seeing in terms of legal developments here in the UAE recently and then also in the future um, in that family law space that could be particularly pertinent. I'm glad you brought the UK up because it took the UK 50 years to bring in no-fault divorce. It's just happened this year. And we in Abu Dhabi... Um, have a new law that was introduced at the end of last year, has its own court, so the laws are very easily implemented um, in practice. And that enables civil marriage, it enables no-fault divorce, it enables 50-50 custody of children. Um, and so it's pretty revolutionary and it, it's an amazing step that the UAE government, particularly the Abu Dhabi government, has taken to attract um, expats and make the expats living here feel more at ease mm-hmm. with the legal process. Makes a lot of sense. Um, and this is going to be in force on a federal level from Feb next year, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that is a second um, very recent change that's happened. It's literally hot off the press um, that the UAE government has issued a federal-wide personal status law which will apply to non-Muslims 
Um, and that comes into force on the 1st of February 2023. And it essentially follows the Abu Dhabi law that was issued last year. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it permits civil marriage and no-fault divorce. Now, can you, I know this is all your bread and butter in terms that you use all the time, but for those of us who aren't familiar, no-fault divorce, why is that a great kind of tool in the kit um, when it comes to navigating this process? Is it about making it faster, cheaper, easier? What's it all about? All of the above, yes, Helen, faster, cheaper, easier. But really the main point from a legal perspective is that the UAE personal status law currently, you have to prove harm. And that level of harm is pretty significant. You have to show it can't just be that this relationship is no longer tenable. Mm -hmm. There has to be a reason behind that statement. And that often is difficult to prove. You have to prove. And um, and presumably, even if you are able to prove it, and and, and going on the assumption now that both parties want a divorce, and you ultimately need to have a bit of finger pointing in order for that to happen. That could be raising all sorts of animosities and complications that can set the tone then for how that divorce is navigated moving forward. Absolutely. And a no-fault divorce actually invites transparency and communication. Um, And of course, provided that both parties are in agreement, it is an almost it's it, it lays the foundation for an amicable settlement rather than a contentious proceeding. Dipali Maldonado is a senior counsel at Altamimi and Company, and we're having a special look at divorce. I have to say it is by popular demand, judging by the number of messages we've had on our legal clinics in the past, and having a look at the rising divorce rates, not just here in the UAE, but internationally. We're looking at recent law changes, offering some clarity, but most importantly, answering your questions. Dipali, let's talk about before the big day. In an ideal world, people will be having pre-marriage counselling to make sure that they're on the same page when it comes to finances and families and all that stuff, the stuff that often causes a rift. Should there be a prenup in the mix? What do you recommend? I definitely recommend. I think a prenup is too important not to talk about it. It's, it's really not, um, it's neither romantic or unromantic, it's just simply a necessity. You would never go into a business partnership without a partnership agreement. You would never buy a house without taking out insurance. You may never claim on that insurance policy, but at least the party's intentions are, are, you know, they're aware of what's going to happen. They're aware of rights and responsibilities. And it's not a division, it's an alignment opportunity. That's a very good way of of looking at it, actually. I still think it would feel really like, okay, I've got my dress, we've tasted the cake, we've signed the prenup, it's ready to go. What kind of things would be covered in that agreement? So UAE prenups are very different to Western um, prenups only because the UAE, already under the law, it's it's for granted that what's yours is yours and what's mine is mine. There is already a separation of assets under UAE law, whereas in Western jurisdictions like the UK, um, matrimonial property can come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, so UAE agreements will often cater for a lump sum payment on a divorce, um, ongoing alimony payments, payments in the event of children, visitation, um, things like that. Western prenups will often talk about separation of property, division of assets in the event of a divorce. Um, And we often actually, a lot of our clients will do a prenup in their home country Mm -hmm. and then we will review it to make sure that it's enforceable in the UAE because the couple now live in the UAE. Makes sense. What about a post-nup? 
a post-nup. Okay, I t- I gave you the example, Helen, of an insurance policy. Much like reviewing an insurance policy and updating it and checking the risks and all of that. Or a will, you know, for or example. Or a will. You've got to look at your... If you've done a prenup, or if you haven't, you've got to keep checking and update, convert that prenup into a post-nup or do a post-nup to reflect the changing circumstances. Um, of course, Helen, when you have a post-nup... Mm-hmm. You don't have the same leverage as a prenup because you already it's said yes. The rings on the finger. Yes. Um, I want to go to the tax line. A message here saying, Helen, should I divorce here in the UAE or where I got married? And if here, would it be recognised in my home country? Good question. It will, it will be recognised in your home country. I don't know where you got married. Um, so it really depends. A lot of people have destination weddings. And so Cyprus, Mauritius, Bali... You really have to check what the divorce procedures and laws are under those jurisdictions as to whether you weigh up um, where to get divorced. But the UAE law um, provides for some, you know, there's a lot of options that you can take advantage of in the UAE when it comes to divorce situations. We are talking divorce on the show today. Dipali Maldonado is with us, senior counsel, Al Tamimi and Company, live in the studio to take my questions, general queries, but most importantly, to answer the spe- specific concerns that you might have. I want to talk dads because we've had a message, uh, Dipali, um, really looking for a bit of clarity um, on his rights, saying, I'm looking to divorce my wife. I'm Christian. She's Hindu. We're both Indians. Got married in the Indian concert of Dubai. We're both be Dubai visa holders. We've got two girls, 13 and nine. I know my wife will have full custody, so she's the custodian and I'm only the guardian. But I want to check regarding visitation rights. My wife is telling me that my that father's rights are only the following. Visitation for a few hours, two to three hours, not every day, only a couple of days a week. At the weekends, the girls cannot come and stay and sleep at my home where my parents are also staying. For long vacations, the fathers cannot take the girls for one or two weeks, nor can they travel to other countries for a vacation. This is prohibited. As a father, I've got to get my wife's permission, but my wife can travel freely anywhere in the world, doesn't need my permission. Is this true? I feel this is so unfair to fathers who wish to co-parent with the mother. Is this fair for dads who want to live, spend time and be actively involved in the lives of their daughters? And I think I'm Thank you for raising that. I think it's, it's wonderful to hear, first of all, from a dad who sounds so passionate about wanting to, to co-parent and be there for, for his girls. What, what are the rights regarding dads in this respect? Yeah, can I just say these are the kind of queries um, that actually it's heartbreaking um, because there are children involved. Um, these, these girls are 13 and 9. He is right in that he is the guardian and the mother is the custodian. Um, under UAE law, a guardian, the father's rights to visitation are somewhat limited in the absence of agreement between the parties. And I keep coming back to agreement because this is the most, you know, amicable, easiest, fastest way for a family to get aligned and move forward. Um, So if the couple can agree to a set visitation, um, that's always easier. If there is no agreement, which it sounds like there isn't in this case, there is a way that um, fathers can go to the Dubai courts and try to seek orders for enhanced visitation uh, because under the UAE law, it is limited really to only a couple of hours a week, although it increases with age. So it's not strictly true that 13 and 9-year-old 
can't be with their father more than a few hours a week. And they can also stay with um, the father, especially if the grandmother is living in the home. Um, so it's really, it's a very complicated issue. But it's that what he's asking, I, I'm happy to have a chat with. Do you know what? We'll connect you off. Yeah, that's because okay. there's a lot in that question. Um you mentioned earlier the federal law that's going to be coming in in February next year. Will that make things a little bit easier? And you mentioned they're kind of 50-50. Um, will that be the case? Is it worth hanging absolutely. out to and, and yes, absolutely. From 1st of Feb, there will be. We don't have the implementing regulations yet for that law. So we're waiting for those to come out. But if it is anything like the Abu Dhabi court, and by the way, if you're an Abu Dhabi resident, you can go to the Abu Dhabi court, file for a divorce and also um, get 50-50 custody. So fathers are in a way better protected when it comes to visitation there. Um, and the same is likely to happen from the 1st of February 2023 across all Emirates. Okay. Thank you for that. And we'll definitely speak to you for some clarity as you as you receive it. Um, anonymous message here saying, as a mother <clears throat> excuse me, who has full custody of my two kids who are under eight, including a toddler, can I get help to overrule something the father wants to do that's not in the best interest of the kids? He's playing that man card and that according to the law, this gives him guardianship rights which overrule mine, according to him. The best interests of the child is absolutely tantamount um, in all of the UAE courts. I don't know what, you know, what, again, it goes to the circumstances of what exactly is going on and what what's the evidence that it's not in the child's best interest. Um, but just because someone is a guardian or someone is a custodian, you know, you can always go and seek recourse at the courts to say, I need this to be done for the girls or the kids and I, or I need them to go to this school because they have learning difficulties and the children's best interest will always trump every other consideration. So don't take anything for granted in terms of no. phrasing or assertions. Okay. Um, anonymous message here to Polly saying, if, um, if I got married by Sharia law in a Western country with no legal marriage, what will be due to me if I decide to get divorced in the UAE? So we're talking about a strictly Sharia marriage there. Um, in the absence of children, so I won't go into the alimony um, of children aspect, but you will be entitled to three months alimony as a wife. Um, that's called the idda. And you will also be entitled to a lump sum payment, um, which is called the mutta at the end of the marriage. And that is calculated, taking into, a number of, uh, taking into account a number of factors like uh, the husband's net worth, the length of the marriage, and so on. I've got so many more questions for you and so many more coming in the text line as well. I would love to revisit this, um, especially when it comes to looking at avoiding <laughs> a lengthy and expensive process. But as as we said, as we hear more about that federal law coming into place in February next year, we should absolutely be continuing to explore this. In the meantime, though, you can find the party there, al and Company, and I will connect anyone who's interested um, with that website, 4001. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, you've, Helen. You've made, me, you. you've made me think about marriage counselling. <laughs> no, prevention's no. better than cure. Prevention's better than cure. That's <laughs> absolutely true. You're a superstar. Thank you. Really do appreciate it. And if you do want to follow these details, drop me a little message on 4001. Be very happy to send that your way. Healthy Habits. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Do you believe that movement is medicine? Our next guest, as Michael Oman, is a sports scientist from Viva Maya Clinic in Austria. He was here in Dubai for an upcoming Live Well with Nikhil event. And you wanted to stand up in our studio today. Why was that, Michael? Why did you want to stand? 
Uh, yeah, so we're sitting too much. Uh, we're sitting almost 12 hours a day and that is making us sick. Yeah, And uh, if we stand, also our voice has much more volume and, and sounds nice. It does sound nicer. Um, I've heard that phrase so many times, you know, sitting is the new smoking. Do you agree? Uh, I absolutely agree. Yeah, so um, there are not just effects on, on the joints. There are also effects on our metabolism, negative effects on our posture, as well as our uh, lungs and, and hearts. Yeah, so, um, so organs get compromised from that exactly. position. We as are well. not made for sitting. Yeah, we evolved as, as human beings. We evolved with uh, 15 kilometer, kilometers walking every day. We, were mo we had a huge movement variety from climbing to jumping, swimming, running. There was so much included. And nowadays uh, we use just 7% of that. And that's what, not, what doesn't fit to our physiology. We've had this obviously massive technological evolution, for want of a better phrase, over the last few years. And now I worry that we, and certainly our children, are just turning into giant thumbs. <laughs> just you work a lot with children. You've got your Movement Evolution program. Tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you're hearing from families about getting their kids moving. Cause it's a big problem here as well. Yeah, the, that's dramatic if we have a look uh, at that and then we have a look to the future as well. Um, nowadays, 84% here in, in the Emirates, also 80% in Austria of the children, uh, don't move enough. And moving enough means one hour of physical activity. When we look back into the 90s, uh, children moved three to four hours each day. And nowadays, not even one. Yeah, and um, when you say moving, Michael, what, what do you what do you categorize under that? We're not saying they need to go to you know Barry's boot camp for an hour every day, but what 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 is enough? What is enough? Yeah, um, so it, it's a, I think we have to rethink our, our school system as well. Uh, that we have to integrate movement into regular life, into regular lessons, also mm -hmm. making active break or also teaching in a in motion. Yeah, the Scandinavian countries show that already. So if we if we move while and do little exercises while we do math, the results are better. Many students, uh, studies show that. So this is movement as medicine for the brain as well? For the brain as well, yeah. If we sit, the oxygen supply on the brain is much less, so we are less creative, we are less productive. So it makes sense to increase the blood flow to uh, bring oxygen into the brain, yeah. This is obviously an area that you're very passionate about um, academically. What about your own life? How active are you in day-to-day -day life? Is there a typical day in terms of movement and sports for you? Um, I try to be quite active. In Austria, um, the climate is a bit different than here, so oh. it's possible to cycle to work, for example. It's uh, 20 minutes each direction, so that is my ritual for, to, for a good start into the day. I feel mm. refreshed after that and, and ready for the day. Um, I try to sit as less as possible. I'm doing many uh, meetings uh, standing uh, or walking and uh, doing active breaks where I stretch between uh, my different tasks. And for sure, my whole life was, uh, was quite, I was quite into sports from early years on, yeah, from alpine skiing uh, to football, everything was included. And I still follow these passions now as a founder and, and, uh, Chief Executive Officer of Movivo, it's not that easy anymore to find that time. But um, yeah, I try to do, to do my best. But it's also a choice, isn't it? It's a choice to say this is a priority for me Absol and absolutely. I need to find that time. Absolutely. We are good in finding excuses. Yeah, that's human. <laughs> yeah, totally. We like shortcuts and excuses. Um, but there are ways. But we have to, to I think, also to, to change our environment that there's, there are incentives to move, for example. 
Yeah, a really interesting question here from Jim saying, um, is there any evidence about time of day um, being best for exercise? Interesting. I mean, you're obviously an advocate for being active kind of throughout the day. But if people are going to maybe just have an hour of activity, you know, go to a gym class, you know, get on their bike or whatever. Is there a time of day that tends to be more beneficial than another? Um, I think it's quite dependent on the person. Yeah, there are people who are really tired in the morning, they need hours to get, get, get into the day. For them, it's maybe not the best uh, to start with an intense workout session in the morning. You don't drop the weights on your foot when you're tired. Like, if, if, yeah. you're not, if you're not yeah. with it, then that yeah. makes a lot of sense. So you should follow your, your character, your personality. That's the most important thing. Then it will be also beneficial. I, for myself, uh, I like the morning classes. Yeah, I, uh, I like to, to move in the morning. Um, I'm going to bed early and... Uh, uh, in the night or in the evening it's it's not my time for movement anymore for, for me if i get a class booked in the evening that means i've got all day to think of an excuse <laughs> like, yeah if you do it immediately oh, well. in the morning it's done yeah well, that was and, me this and morning you have a good feeling yeah exactly yeah. exactly I, I did a class this morning at seven which i didn't really want to go to to be honest and afterwards i was like oh, you know what's really annoying about exercise is it does work <laughs> <laughs> there are endorphins and i do feel better and that's really annoying Healthy Habits. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Joining in us in the studio from Austria, from Viva Maya Clinic, we've got Michael Oman, who is a sports scientist. Um, interesting questions coming in for you, Michael. Um, Chet's asking about the 12-hour goal that he gets from his Apple Watch. Now, are you, you're not wearing a wearable. Can I ask you why that is? Yeah, I think it's pretty important to <clears throat> learn to listen to your body on your own. Mm-hmm. A wearable... <clears throat> Sorry. It's okay. I mean, I'm not wearing mine because, I, and I did for a long time, because the sleep thing was starting to, fi- I find it really distracting. I found that if I, my watch told me I'd had a, a bad night's sleep, then I would allow that to dictate my mood and my energy level. Does that make sense? Absolutely. <coughs> oh, come on. You okay? <laughs> Absolutely. So it's, it's not about, it's good to get a, a bit of a feeling, but we should use our wearables quite a with some caution. Mm-hmm. Uh, consciously. So, consciously, yeah. Um, it should not dictate our life. Mm-hmm. And 12 hours standing is, is, is a good start, yeah. Mm-hmm. The problem with standing, it's a bit like sitting as well. It's an every monotonous position is reducing the blood flow. Mm-hmm. So the secret key is changing the positions. If you spend a few minutes sitting... Okay, then stand up and do maybe a call while walking or while standing up. Mm-hmm. It's the monotonous position which is co- causing many problems. Um, what about stretching? You know, is there anything that you would recommend everybody, regardless of age, gender, fitness level, be incorporating into their day to kind of improve their blood flow and flexibility? Yeah, stretching. Um, so. I would not recommend it to everybody. As you told me, you're hypermobile, yeah, if yeah. I'm allowed to say. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so stretching is not the right thing for you, for example. What we have to take care of is our mobility. Mobility means that you can go into a, a position, maybe a, a almost split position, and still control your muscles. Mm-hmm. That you, you, we, what we need is to use our joints in the full range of motion. And that's, that's pretty important. That's recommendable for everybody. Yeah? So we need to use our joints uh, in the full range of motion to protect our cartilages, for example. Yeah, I have no cartilage either. <laughs> um, Michael, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the importance of weight training. Why it is so crucial in terms of especially as we get older and if men and women should, should do it differently. What's your take? 
Yeah, weight training is, is part of our evolution as well. Uh, every child is doing weight training, first time lifting the head and doing rotation and uh, also standing up, your first time lifting mm. and, uh, your body and uh, working against gravity. So it's part of our lifestyle. And if we just sit, we don't use our muscles anymore. And all our systems are following one big rule, use it or lose it. Mm -hmm. If you are in a plaster, for example, because you have a broken leg, If you take it off after six weeks, there will be no muscle anymore. So we have to use them regularly. So it's quite important to do weight training at least twice a week for with a certain intensity also to let you feel some stimulation um, for all genders. Yeah, And it's not necessary to lift heavy weights. Yeah, So there are so many different forms of, of uh, increasing the strength of the, of the muscle that can be done by, by body weight exercises, by, um, yeah, By, by climbing, for example. It's also a great uh, exercise for developing strengths. So it's more about the stimulation. It's not about the tools that we are, that we are using. Mm -hmm. I want to ask, because a lot of people exercise for weight loss, for aesthetics, and I, it seems to be quite a common barrier at the minute of, I feel like I'm doing everything I should do. I'm eating well, I'm working up, but I'm still not losing weight. With, this, with your kind of sports scientist hat on, are there any reasons why that might be? There are reasons, and they you need to have developed a more holistic view on that. So it's not just exercising. Um, diet plays a big role. And the main secret is the acid alkaline balance. So if we are unbalanced, if we have many sources of acidity in our life, that can be diet, that can be junk food, that can be uh, as well as if we don't breathe well. Yeah, stress. Yeah. Stress is a major source of acidity as well as the wrong movement intensity. So, and we have to bring that into balance, otherwise the body is not able to use oxygen for en creating energy supply. So we're not using the fat. And then we can exercise as much as possible and we won't uh, lose weight. So we have to create this alkaline um, milieu state. first, alkaline state. Yeah. And lastly, when we think about, and it feels counterproductive, you know, as, as you get older and you perhaps are in pain or you develop chronic illnesses, to not want to move, You know, that I understand that mentality and that kind of, I guess, in some ways, self-protection from pain. But movement can help an awful lot of conditions. Are you able to outline some that you really feel like could be particularly beneficial? Absolutely. So, so the older we, we get, the more important is the weight training and that we regularly move. Yeah. So, um, again, use it or lose it. I, I was exercising with people above 90 and they were still jumping in their trampoline <laughs> for 10 minutes every day. It was amazing uh, to see what, what the elderly can do. And I also exercised with 20 yields who can't stand on one leg anymore. So there's a big uh, gap, but it's our decision. It's, it's our priority. If you develop this little routine of 10, 15 minutes daily, then we can uh, keep, uh, keep the self. So we are, we can, We can get older and, and stay fit and, and manage our life on our own. So we are not dependent on, on caretakers. We have stolen you away from Austria for um, events this weekend. Live well with Nikhil. Um, this is on Sunday. For anyone that wants to go along, what is going to be in store? And should we be wearing our sports gear? <laughs> Definitely. First of all, um, yeah, I'm really thankful and, and proud to be here in Dubai my, my first time. And thanks okay. to... Thanks to Nakheel and being part of this Live Well initiative. It's a great thing, I think, so to create consciousness for the power of movement and, and for, for a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, on Sunday we have a, a, an extraordinary, extraordinary workshop uh, planned with Irina Sharma, 
where we will talk a lot about movement as medicine. But first of all, yeah, it's all about movement and we will move a lot. We will do some kind of animal moves. We will do some kind of flows, ground-based movement, um, yeah, to learn to control the body. And yeah, that's that's that should be the foundation for, for a healthy lifestyle. Well, and thank you're you. all invited to come on on Sunday. Sunday, if you want details of that, by all means, drop me a line, 4001. I will be very happy to send you over the link. Michael, it's great to have you in Dubai. wish you were staying longer. I think you've got an awful lot of work to do here. <laughs> <laughs> but I also hope you get the chance to explore and relax as well. Any final words? If you could wave a magic wand over everybody listening today to do something, change something, try something, what would you like that message to be? Wow, that's that's a big moonshot. Um, um, yeah, so I think we have to change our consciousness about movement and health. It's it's not just about looking good. It's also about uh, staying healthy and developing a joyful life, which is also important. Yeah, if we don't have the physical capacity to walk to the mountains or to do some hikes, we miss a lot of of things, wonderful things in our life, and that can contribute a lot of, of joy to life if we have the capacity. Yeah, that's there should be a driver. Yeah, there should be some goal. We should set some goals. Yeah, that find always your why. find your why. Yeah, uh, why to move, and then then it's much easier to leave the comfort zone and make the step out. And that's what uh, what I see as my mission. Yeah, to to help to people find their why's and empower them for for self care. Michael, thank you so much. I love that but about. Movement is a privilege, really. It's not It's not about punishment. Whether it is, as you say, climbing mountains or picking up your grandchildren, things we're doing now can, can definitely help us so much down the line. Michael Iman, sports scientist, joining us from Viva Maya Clinic in Austria. Here is in Dubai for that Live Well with Nikhil event. If you want details of that, drop me a message. This content is for informational purposes only. If you would like to seek medical treatment, please contact a certified healthcare provider for personalised advice and diagnosis. We're continuing our conversation now around bullying with Mohammed Sheher, the Head of Marketing Digital Communications at Warner Brothers Discovery. And we've got Dr. Saleh as well, clinical psychologist and the Managing Director of Lighthouse Arabia. They've been collaborating on Cartoon Network's Buddy Network campaign. And great to have you both with us. Um, Mohammed, I'd like, love to start with you. For anyone that's not familiar with the Buddy Network, tell us a little bit about it and what its aims are in a very real life, realistic way. Hi, good afternoon, Helen, and thank you for having me. Um, the Buddy Network is an anti-bullying initiative that was uh, created and launched by uh, Cartoon Network first in 2014 across uh, Europe, and then we introduced the initiative over here in 2019. Uh, the aim of this initiative is to raise awareness uh, on the topic of bullying through content creation, uh, for both kids and parents um, um, across all our linear and digital platforms, as well as working with experts and trained professionals to find solutions and try to address the problem. What kind of impact has it had on children in the UAE so far, Mohammed? I think I think we've I think we've seen some successes over the years. Uh, so just to give a small example, last year when we did our our annual um, anti-bullying survey with parents. Uh, more than 85% of parents said their kids um, were uh, or still are being bullied, whereas the findings from this year's uh, survey, which we released at the launch of the campaign on the 14th of November, said that there was only um, over 50% of parents. Uh, that's a positive note. However, it still says that we still have a problem that we need to, uh, to address. 
I mean, bullying's never going to go away. And I never believe any school that says we don't have a bullying problem because it takes many forms. And I think, and honestly, I feel like numbers are really hard to, to measure. It's really hard to judge. People have different perceptions of what bullying is. Um, and also reporting rates can be so, so problematic. I think, you know, what Buddy Network does really well is starting conversations amongst kids, but also between kids and parents and getting that communication line open. I'm, I hope as a parent that my children will be able to tell me anything and everything. And that starts at, at a young age. And Dr. Salah, I wondered what are some of the challenges that you've heard from children, but also from parents when it comes to speaking up against bullies, reporting? What, what, uh, what have you been hearing throughout the community? Hi, Helen. It's nice to be with you again. So one of uh, the challenges is just that schools don't take it seriously. And a lot of the bullying does happen in schools. But the second challenge is that parents are not actually aware that the child is struggling or suffering with this, you know, having this experience. And so they suffer in isolation and um, and it's quite damaging to their self-esteem, their self-confidence. They feel that there's really no one with them and it feels quite unsafe for the child. And then the third thing that I would say is that when the child does speak to the parent and then the parent goes and addresses it with the school, um, the child is also very afraid and not very assured that um, there won't be any further retaliation against the bullying or uh, the, the, the bullies might not actually, you know, uh, increase their their um, attacks against this person. So there's a lot of fear and a lot of unsafety and a lot of unknown as to what happens if I tell you, what will, how will you keep me safe? And so these conversations are not happening. And I think those are the biggest challenges that I have seen. Um, unfortunately, you know, you, there's a kind of, a, there's two different areas, I guess, when it comes to being parents. There's one, if your child is being bullied, but there's also the situation that can arise if your child is the bully or is being accused of bullying. Um, and I wonder, Dr. Hassel, if you could speak to that first one, um, recommendations for parents and how to deal with bullying, getting that conversation going at home, but as you say, escalating it to the school. What can be really effective? You know, Helen, this is such a difficult thing to hear as a parent. I mean, I really feel, you know, like my heart clenches when I think about that, that to hear that your child is engaging in bullying behavior. So my first advice would be to take a deep breath, ground yourself, calm yourself, you know, kick on the self-compassion for sure at that point. Your role as a parent is to be an advisor and the adult. And of course, your first instinct is going to be denying it or rejecting it because Mm -hmm. no parent wants to get that call or no parent wants to find that out. But the second thing will be for you to show compassion to your child alongside firm boundaries and clear expectations of what you want from them to sort of reconcile or to apologize or to make things right, to make amends. I think being trauma-informed means that we look at each behavior through the lens of like what's going on with this child? Why would 
would this my child be acting in this aggressive or hurtful way? It is important that you don't just justify their behavior no matter what. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes parents can be like, oh, well, my child was provoked or something happened and that's why they did this. And I think that's not okay. Hurting others is never okay. So because so much bullying behavior is about power, it will also be very important to teach your children effective ways of asserting their power and using their power in a way that is helpful and not hurtful. And this often can be done through a psychologist. And then the third thing, which is something I feel very, very passionately about and very, very, you know, I take very, very seriously, is that do not label your child a bully. No one should label your child a bully because when we can say that they're engaging in bullying behavior, but when we label someone, then it becomes their destiny. And I think every human being has the capacity to heal. They have the capacity to empathize. And if the right care and support is taught, I think they can be put on the right path and engage in a way that is healthy again. So um, just avoid calling people bullies. I think that's really, really wise words. Dr. Salihah, thank you so, so much for joining us from Lighthouse Arabia and Mohammed Shaher, Head of Marketing Digital Communications there, sharing about the Buddy Network. You can just Google Buddy Network. It's a brilliant website and resource. Lots of information there, expert advice um, and just some good ways of starting a conversation with your kids. Um, Thank you both on that. It is coming towards the end of November, Movember, a time when men's mental health is rightfully in the spotlight. But this is a conversation we want to keep going all year round. Uh, Suicide rates amongst men were four times higher in 2020 than the rate amongst females, as according to data out of the US, the Centre of Disease Control and Prevention. This is in part because, they say, men are less likely to seek social or psychological support. How have we got to this place and what's being done in the community to address it? We're meeting now Mo Murad is the founder of Expand and Evolve and joining us shortly is holistic wellness coach May Britt ahead of a retreat for men that they're organising in just a couple of weeks. Mo, thank you for being with us today. How are you? Doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. Doing fantastic. That's the... Love it. Are you being honest? I am very honest. Good. Thank yes. you. Would you would you say you were feeling terrible if, if you were feeling terrible? I'm feeling a little bit also nervous if well, you want me to be very fine. authentic. Yeah. That's fine. Um, I wanted to ask you, first of all, about what you believe kind of portrayals of masculinity are like in media, social media, the community? Because I feel like the things have changed somewhat, but if you were to you know, land as an alien on planet Earth, what do you think our perceptions of, of masculinity would be? It's a very, very deep question. There's so many layers to answer to it. I would simply say the main definition of a conscious man is that conscious man who is able to really tap into his heart, Because oftentimes in my own previous experience, I was always in my mind operating from that survival mode, trying to accomplish, trying to do and trying to overachieve. Mm -hmm. And in so many times, I wasn't really tapped into my heart because my conditioning was there telling me to man up, not to show emotions. And that conditioning was collected from society, from experiences, from previous experience. And then I got to know at some point, I'm like, I get get into one of these researchers talking about that 95% of our mind is unconscious, where all these behaviors come from the unconscious storages of behaviors, of experiences of the past. And only 5% is the conscious mind that actually you're able to 
you know, have these behaviors from a conscious mind. And I was like, really, hold on a second. Let me really tap into my previous experiences. And I started seeing a lot of my patterns that was repeated is because of my past experience. And that made sense to me that 95% of my behaviors were all unconscious. So for me then to dig deeper into the conscious masculinity is I wanted to really know how do I really show up as a conscious man? How do I really be tapped into my emotions, being able to express my vulnerabilities? Because before it was to show and express vulnerabilities is about showing your weakness. Whereas I started understanding if you're vulnerable, you're actually being there as a conscious man being truthful and having that radical responsibility of what you act upon on your feelings and thinking as well. You are having a treat that is exactly called that about conscious masculinity. Why do you feel like that's necessary in, you know, modern day Dubai? That's a very, very good question as well, because I feel here in Dubai, I was also in this hamstering wheel where I was working nonstop, eight hours kind of job. Before that, it was just me trying to get into so many responsibilities. And then at some point I got into this burning out. And in that burning out, I felt into depression. I didn't know how to express emotions. And so for such a retreat to happen in this part of the world, mm -hmm. as well as at this time, I feel it's going to bring a lot of time, first of all, to tap into our own sovereignty, that we're actually being able to understand certain behaviors. Why are we actually acting in a certain way? So we're going to have facilitators from different parts of the world coming for the first time in a five days retreat to let us really understand about the patterns, psychology with mental health, with body and mind and stuff like that. It's limited to around 30 men. And I wondered who you had in mind when you put together the program, when you thought about who needs this most, who was there for you, Mo? Those are the ones who are really feeling burned out. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones who really want to feel that they are in a container of brotherhood. These are the men that they're there because they want to really connect and to really learn and to be in that space of growth and being uplifting each other. And for a sacred container to be there, it's actually been done with so much of love. And I'm so looking forward to welcome anybody who's going to come there. In just a couple of weeks, there is a retreat happening. It's all about conscious masculinity and joined now by Mo Murad, the founder of Expand and Love and holistic wellness coach May Britt is here to explain a little bit more about what's going to be happening and I guess kind of demystifying it a little bit because as I said to you off air, Mo, I feel like the people that perhaps need this retreat the most are those that might not A, recognise that they need it or might not be able to access that kind of level of expertise. So I wondered if you're able to explain a little bit. I've heard there's no phones. You're having a phone ban. Tell us more. That's a very interesting point because we also would like the men to be responsible of their own actions. So we're going to throw the option for those who would be part of the whole retreat to actually have at least a 24 hours to 48 hours without a phone and then keeping that responsibility to them. Sounds like bliss to me, to be honest. May Britt, would yes. you, are you, you down for that? <laughs> I am down for Let's that. Check Absolutely. those phones in the sea. Um, May Britt, you do a lot of work around family constellation. For anyone who's not familiar with that term, can you explain to us in quite, I know it's not a simple idea but no. to make help us understand a little bit and, and the role it's going to play in this retreat in particular with the men who are attending. So family constellation is really a method that we are using to get an understanding of who we are by getting an understanding of our family of the people that are standing behind us. So what we are doing is basically tapping into moving away from resenting basically into more of a gratitude. So 
what we are doing when we are looking at our father and mother, for example, and now that we are talking about the men, how can a man be a man? A man can be a man by having the support of the men. It is like that. Yeah. How can a man also stand next to the woman? He can do that by connecting with the man. So what we are going to be looking at is where are we missing the support of the father, for example, and when we are moving forward in life, resenting our father, we are never fully turning towards life. We are never fully living in totality because we are constantly looking over the shoulders. I'm not going to be like that. I'm definitely not going to be burned out. I'm not going to be working that much. Mm -hmm. So we are not fully engaging and doing what we really want to do. And then we reach the 40 and then we say, oh, my God, here I am, <laughs> Where am I? being like my father. Mm -hmm. So... It is very much often we are learning to stand in somebody else's shoes because that is really what family constellation is about. I think that, that point about it's not about blame, it's about understanding. You yeah. know, we can't, you can't necessarily change anything, but you can change your perception of it and you can certainly change how you kind of adjust moving forward. Um, I wanted to go to the text line, Mo, if you don't mind. A really interesting question um, here, and it's anonymous. You can, of course, get in touch anonymously, saying, my husband recently opened up about not being able to admit fault or failure, ask for help, show weakness, and it has caused him to develop depression. I'm so sad for him, but mostly I'm afraid that if we can't get a handle on this, what it's going to mean for our son. He's only two, the most gorgeous, happy little boy, and I can't bear the idea of him growing up to face the loneliness, the fear, and the sadness that so many men face as a result of toxic masculinity. Does your guest have any advice? Yeah, that's a very deep um, sharing and I can actually relate to it simply because there is this stigma around um, toxic masculinity that is like, or conscious masculinity. People think that if you want to be a man that you don't have to really share emotions. And my journey has been witnessing a lot of that, that the more that I share less emotions, the more that I dump my own emotions and then it becomes toxic. And so then I go out there and I start exploring to my family members, to my coworkers. And so for me, the journey was basically, how do I really express my emotions in a healthy way so that later on I become really in tune with my own alignment with my inner self and have that inner peace. And interesting that we were sharing this because one of the workshops that we're going to have, the retreat, is going to be tackling uh, a specific workshop about healthy competition. How could I be as a man competing with my peer or my friend or my fr or my colleague, but in a healthy way? Because I think that's I think that's a really interesting kind of argument that we look at kind of so-called toxic masculinity. We talk about you know alpha male success, power, competition, domination. Some of those things are incredibly healthy and unnecessary. But as you say, it's about being aware of doing it in a, in a way that is true to you, true to your values and is respectful of those around you. Maybe I wanted to get your take on this message about raising a little boy. So the work here is for the mother to look at her son and say to her son, when I look at you and I see a part of your father in you, I love that about you. So she needs to really be able to integrate that because the son is half the mother and half the father. Yeah. So and sometimes a mother can interfere very strongly with how the father is maybe raising the child. So the mother gives a foundation. A father will give a push. A father will always give that extra push. Yeah. So uh, it's very much about respecting. It's about including everyone. And as you say, not necessarily kind of 
pouring poison of, in the ear of a child if you see something that you yeah. recognise that perhaps you find upsetting or you don't you don't like in, in, in that side. OK, that's really that's really insightful. So give us a little flavour. It's going to be five days. We've got May Britt, obviously, who's going to be there. And um, what else is going to be happening over the course of the retreat, Mo? Yeah, so we have a five days um, lead facilitators, including May Britt and uh, Eyes Inc. coming all the way from the jungle in Costa Rica, along with Michael Finkel, who's going to be touching a lot of topics about what is an integrated man, what is an awakened man. We're going to have Rika, where we're going to tap into authentic relating. And then we have a set of body and vitality coaches where we're going to do ice baths, um, things that has related to you know the wellness and well-being and then we're going to have a lot of musicians and every night we're going to have sort of a meditation and i just came back from the venue yesterday because it's just like i would want to keep a little bit of mystery there because there's a lot of surprises happening but but the whole concept is about how do we bring all these people who are very knowledgeable in one place for five days that we can actually absorb as much as we can so that we can go feeling recharged for this new year to come i mean it's the end of the year and i totally know like i work in a couple of projects working in like this whole closing the year and doing multiple projects everyone i I speak to is on the edge at the minute exactly they really really are and anyone that's not able to make the retreat is there any work that people could be doing any reading that you recommend any resources that can be useful yes and we're going to share everything in our um, instagram page which is expand.andevolve.com we have our website there as well and we're going to have this sort of community that we're always going to publish whatever we learn from all these retreats that we're going from abroad and bringing them to dubai and vice versa so everything will be there and you'll be shared over that space you are going to be there on the retreat but you you are a practitioner here in dubai year round as well guys thank you so so much i'm so interested to hear (laughs) what comes out out of this I, I think it's going to be it's really fascinating to think about why you're doing it in the first place but what those days achieve and what comes out I think is going to be so so fascinating so I will absolutely give you guys a follow and watch it all unfold Mo, Mo absolute pleasure and if you Thank do want you. details of that retreat Thank drop me you. a little message on 4001 I'd be very happy to send it your way Joining us in the studio now is Mustafa Hassan, a father and educator. He posts online as Arab Baba, that's me. How are you? I'm doing good, thank you. It's so nice to have you here. You are one of the rare dad influencers in oh. the UAE. You're um you're a rare breed. There needs to be more. There's way too many of us mum influencers. We need a few need a few more men. Um, tell us about your decision to start documenting your life as a parent and and an educator online. What's it been like? It's uh, coming before was I was in Qatar and I leave to come to UAE. I decided to stay at home dad till I get back to work again. And I really love it and I enjoy the time with my kids and I don't want to go back to work. <laughs> But I decided to work again. I just worked for like four years at school as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And actually, I learned a lot to support my kids with education side, with parents, help them how how easy to can do to deal with it because it's not easy. Uh, Listen, distance learning during lockdown taught me that there is definitely one job I could never do. And that is teacher. I have got the greatest amount of respect for that, not just job, but that vocation because first of all woefully underpaid secondly woefully overworked um and the amount of love and passion that goes into that job it it blows my mind every single day it really really does so yeah shout out to you teachers um so you you there kind of straddling there there's like stay at home dad 
but also back in the workforce. Um, and I wondered then, of all the things that you've posted over the years, what are some of the topics that your followers have really engaged with and kind of really got something out of them? It's uh, the supporting their kids with learning mm-hmm. and how to do the, especially the homework. Okay, help me. We're not we're not really at the stage yet. We we on purpose chose a school where there was going to be no homework until they were about eight. So we have yeah. reading to do, but for anyone, and I'm sure there's lots of people listening today, who are having to have almost daily fights with their children to get the homework done, can you give us some advice? Uh, you need to be fun when you do the homework with them. So don't, you don't go homework time. Yeah, exactly. That all all the parents actually they you don't have the time. You don't have like the patience. Mm-hmm to deal with like the kids that like do the homework and you're starting to do like something uh, not right, like, oh, why you do like that? And to get angry, but it doesn't. And the kids get frustrating mm-hmm. and probably it's just like getting, oh, I'm not gonna do it, I'm done. But it's just like with my kids, like when I do spelling, I have a lot of like uh, video there and do the homework with them, like especially with the youngest one, with the spelling word. I always, I, I I reading wrong the word to, to write him like in purpose like she's telling me Baba you don't know English <laughs> you need class of English and we start the fun we start laughing and we start fun like spending like forty five minutes doing ten word mm-hmm. but it was fun but you go like you need to do it because you have to do it you need no it doesn't work because I I mean. <sighs> Again, I don't think my parents are listening today. But I remember doing my maths homework with my mum. Also, maths is a, tri- is a tricky one because the way kids learn now is very different to how, how we the learned and how... Completely different. Absolutely. But I remember sitting crying at our, at our table <laughs> with my mum, just, you know, just like a lone tear just plopping on my, on my workbook because I just felt so... <laughs> useless and she didn't know how to help me yeah. and it was the absolute opposite of fun. Um, so thank you for your honesty on that. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about languages in your house. You're from Egypt, your wife's American. How, what, tell us a little bit about having that bilingual household. Oh, I talk to the kids in e- Egyptian, like uh, Arabic. Uh, the, the funny thing is the oldest one know all the Arabic and everything and like she doesn't like, she sit, make it as she don't know anything about, uh-huh. but she knows and give me like word, like like local word from the street, Egyptian street, because yeah. all of her friends in Egyptian there, but like she sees like some word and run away. And the youngest one, um, I really starting struggling with her was Arabic. It's not like, but she started picking up with a uh, few of words like back and did and there and there was all a friend, but just getting there, getting there, getting there. Um, I'm going to squeeze in one last question. Uh, this is from Cecilia saying, what about exam revision? I know, we're, I can't believe we're already thinking about exams, but they are end of term tests. Um, anything anything you found very practical in terms of tips or tools or bits of equipment for getting studying done? Yeah, the communication first and don't tell the kids you have exam tomorrow. Don't mention you have exam because actually most of the children get stressful and like mm-hmm. stress. Don't mention, okay, well, let's do it practice. We can practice today. They cannot practice the exam and win the second day perfectly done with no problem. So you're advocating lying to your children. Absolutely. Like <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
we've run out of time. I have run out of questions. We'd love to have you back and explore some of these topics more. But in the meantime, it's such a great resource. As I said, the way you talk about teaching in a really accessible way, normal way, as as parents here, I think is so valuable. Um, It's Arababa, that's me. That's who you need to be checking out on social media. Mustafa, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All the very best (laughs) and enjoy that time with your your kids because I think an awful lot of working parents would wish that they could have that. So enjoy every single second. You don't get that time back. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.